last two weeks have been particularly interesting for me uh, as far as I've had some, um, I don't know how to say it, just negative coming in from Christian brothers and sisters. And one thing that happens to, I know it's not, it wasn't from people in this church, by the way, just so you're not looking at the other guy going, man, it wasn't me, no, it wasn't you. It was someone outside of this fellowship, but still someone that I trust and a, a Christian brother and everything. And what happens is, you know, you, you all that have known me for a long time, you know I got flaws and shortcomings. And, and, and in times past, some of your flaws and shortcomings have interacted with my flaws and shortcomings. And we've had discord among the brethren. That's how it works. But in that, we grow spiritually. And it just depends on how those flaws overlap, the result that comes out of it. So like I said, I had a little bit of a beep down this last couple of weeks. But that's what's going on here as we conclude Hebrews this week. That's what's going on in Hebrews chapter 12. That's exactly what the point is. So over the last months or so, we've been talking about Hebrews. We spent a lot of time talking about in Hebrews chapter 11 where we talked about the faith of the saints, the faith of the patriarchs, and the different word, uh, things that happened, how the patriarchs both succeeded and failed, but they were proved faithful by their continued obedience despite their failures. So we saw them persecuted and martyred last week and how they were used anyway in that way. And by the way, when we read that, that scripture last week, uh, Acts 1.8, about um, uh, you being my witnesses to all the nations, that word witness and martyr, same word. So the, the, the idea there is, is in persecution, God called them faithful. By the way, I wasn't persecuted last week, just slapped around a little bit. But, but if you're going to be a serious witness, then know that part of the witness action is the, the result of, the very good chance of you becoming a martyr, especially if you're going to do it overseas. And I could see it coming here. I've told you that many times before. It's going to come to the United States. Prepare now. It's getting more and more intense for Christians to speak openly about their faith, unless you're Kanye West. And I'm telling you, they'll turn on him. I don't know if you're following what's going on with Kanye West, but he's got his little church thing he's doing. He's a rapper, if you don't know who he is. I've, I've never listened to a single song of Kanye West, but I know who the guy is because he makes his own press. Okay, and so he decided he was going to be a church leader and without being without going to seminary or hardly going to church in his life or any other thing like that. He decides he's going to have these church services at concerts and he's been showing up at different places and just having a bunch of music and and so on. And he says that he's a follower of Christ. The thing is, is that he, he needs to be very careful because his personal life doesn't exactly line up with the life that he's putting out there in public. And so when that happens, what you end up doing is tarnishing the name of Christ rather than building it up. And so the press, they're all excited about what he's doing. So don't get too excited just yet because there's a lot of people in Nigeria who never heard the name of Kanye West uh, and they're counted faithful. And so don't, we don't want to ever put our hope or our faith or anything like that. We see this movie star come to faith in God and we all get all excited. And then six years later, you got the thing that's going on with these Hillsong people where they're saying, uh, I'm no longer a Christian. So we don't want to put our faith in a man. We put our faith in Christ. But just know, if Kanye keeps it up, he starts growing in grace, he starts really becoming a devout believer, he starts tightening up, he starts becoming more active, more outspoken about repentance or the work of Christ on the cross, I guarantee all those same people that are, you know, telling you how great he is now will turn on him in a second like a pack of dogs and tear him to pieces. So there's a disrupting factor in the life of anyone who's called according to his purpose. If you're a believer... The sinful fallness of the world is going to cause a natural irritation in your life. 
It's just how it is. It's, how it's, de- it's not how it's designed. It's God designed it perfectly. Man fell, and the design is now irritation for the believer. It's the pebble in the shoe of the believer. Everywhere you go, it forces the believer to daily make decisions uh, to either follow Christ daily by dying to self, putting on this cross, dying to self day by day, or uh, sliding along and fitting in with the world and that kind of thing and having no real witness for Christ. Um, when that happens, it causes a chafing in the britches of the believer that he can't uh, be cured by some human cure. The cure is follow fully with Christ, turn your back fully on the world, and follow fully with Christ. That's, that's the cure. Uh, if you're going to try and fix it in the flesh, then you're going to struggle miserably. So let's read Hebrews 12. I'm going to break it up into a couple pieces. We're going to read all of 12 and all of 13 this morning. God's Word is going to speak better than anything I could say. So let's, let's make sure we read His Word, and then we'll, we'll break it apart there a little bit. Let's just read the first two verses, which we closed the service with last week, but we're going to read it again this morning. Hebrews 12, um, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight uh, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The thing I wanted you to see here first, so we're going to talk about running the race of faithfulness. And we're going to, I'll give you a couple examples of, of, uh, of those kind of races and how it falls in our lives. And we kind of struggle to see this. I, I will say, as American citizens, we've talked about this before, you know, we don't really need Christ because we've got Walmart. We can go buy all the things, or we, got, we can go get a doctor, we can go buy a new car when our car breaks down or whatever, go buy a tire when we get a flat. And so there's not a lot of prayer, day-to-day prayer, or day-to-day just... Uh, begging God for his mercy because we can buy our way out of things so easily. But, it, but the whole rest of the world doesn't really operate that way. We are blessed in the United States to not have to operate that way, but in a way it's a curse as well because we've turned our back. The Bible said that God gave uh, the Israelites, he said he'd give it to them as a test, that he's going to provide them houses that they didn't build or, or lands that they didn't cultivate. They're going to get fruit from that ground. And well, it's the same thing for us. It's a test to test us in our faithfulness. Will you remain faithful if you have plenty? So in Hebrews 12, the first thing it says is lay aside every weight or every encumbrance. And the encumbrance, Scott White and I were in Peru one time, and, and I didn't even know he did this, but he had on a pair of swim trunks, and he was doing a message on this to some, um, to some Peruvian pastors. And uh, he said, if we we're going we to run a race, you know, uh, how would you run the race? And he's got his clothes on, street clothes, you know. And he said, well, first, he just starts taking stuff out of his pockets, you know. And he starts taking his shoes off. And he takes his belt off. And he takes his pants off. I'm like, Scott, what are you doing? He goes, man, if I'm going to run a race and my life depends on it, I mean, I'm going to be as close to naked as possible. I'm going to be as swift as I can possibly be and lay aside everything that could possibly cause wind resistance or drag on me. And the thing is with us, with this encumbrance thing, we don't realize these encumbrances, it's listed separately than sin. If you notice, there's encumbrances or weights, and then there's sins. If you're going to run the race, back in the day, uh, old timers, when we had to work out, we had these ankle weights, remember them? And you like strapped it around your ankle, and you were supposed to run around with them, and then you could jump higher, whatever, it's a lie. But it worked. It made you faster in your mind anyway. When you took them off, you could run faster, right? Um, these weights are these things of the world, these things of life that we put on ourselves, 
and we actually give them priority. We give them more priority than we think we do. It could be a sporting event, a TV show you're going to watch, want to watch, the worries of your kids, the worries of life, or, or whatever. Whatever the thing is that gives you a blurry focus of whatever work God is doing in your life. See what I'm saying? It's not a sin necessarily, although Christ does call, us worry, does call worry a sin. I'm not saying that all of these encumbrances are necessarily worries. I'm saying they're the things that you take on yourself that change your personal daily focus from a God-focused focus to a life-focused, myself-focused. This, this stuff, i got to get all this, as long as I make it to church on Sunday from you know, whatever 10 to 11.30, then everything's going to be cool. But if our whole life is that way, if every, the whole busyness of life becomes this encumbrance that messes up our focus from the one pinpoint thing it should be, uh, in order to run this race well. They said that, uh, I read a long time ago, Dave can verify, he told me it was true, that uh, like a major league pitcher, when he pitches the ball, it's going 90-something miles an hour, but the batter's focus is so pinpoint that they can actually see the rotation of the ball and see the individual stitches on the ball. It's going 90 miles an hour. Is that true, Dave? A good hitter, yeah. Okay, well. So I'm not that hitter. But a good hitter can do that. Okay, what does that take? Have you been in a bad car wreck? Anybody been in a bad car wreck? And, or even any car wreck, and how stuff just slows down all of a sudden, and you can, like, take in every detail? That's called pinpoint focus right there. That's called releasing all encumbrances and focusing on the key thing, not hitting the semi head on, right? Steering away. That's called releasing the encumbrance, dropping it, pinpoint focus. Our pin, the pinpoint focus in the life of the believer should be following Christ, whatever that looks like. It may look differently for you than for me as far as ministry is concerned. But it doesn't change that your daily focus, day by day, should be pinpoint on Christ and following him. If there's any other thing that's uh, messing up the focus, then you need to ditch it, throw it aside. The next thing it mentioned was a sin which so easily ensnares us. And a lot of us, in, in the, uh, the, the encumbrance becomes a sin. The sin is this ensnaring sin. It's like you're trying to run a race and there's a whole bunch of, of rope tangled up on the ground and you're trying to run like a sprinter and this stuff's grabbing at your ankles. And if you don't think you have sin in your life, all you have to, it's real easy to figure this out. If you think you're a pretty spiritual person, your jazz just doesn't stink and you're just that good, just ask the person closest to you, what do you see in my life that you would consider sin? And then they're going to really hurt your feelings. Because they're going to tell you, you're, you're a really selfish person. I'm like, oh, sorry, I hate them. I don't want to. You kind of lie. And, and you're kind of greedy. You know, you talk about people a lot. You know, you, you tend to backstab people, you know. You seem like uh, you're, you really want stuff that other people have. You just can't be happy with your, you're not content in your own life. You're like, okay, I just one sin. I thought I just had one sin that ensnared me. No, you got all that jazz going on. You just don't want to hear it. It's really easy for us to see it on other people. We just can't see it on ourselves. Because I can point out, everybody in here, I can point out the flaws that you got going on in your life. It's really easy. I could walk with you for a week and be like, man, you're lazy as a dog, you know, or man, you run that mouth all the time, or man, you lie like a whatever. You, whatever your thing, I can see it on you easy, but I can't see it on myself. I'm willfully blinded to my own sin. Daryl had a really good analogy, but I'm not going to use it on you. But we can see it on everybody else. Men later, if you want to hear Daryl's analogy, we'll talk about it outside. But it was excellent, Daryl, excellent. Thank you for that yesterday. I appreciate it. So uh, 
So it says any of those things. So, so here's the deal. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it says that we're not to be focused on those things. You, you do, you're going to have to focus on this sin thing for a second because each of us has it. And if you have it, then it's very easy to handle it. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's easy to deal with it. But first, you've got to recognize that you got it. And God's going to reveal it to you one of two ways. You're close whoever is going to tell you about it. Or, number two, God's going to reveal it to someone, and they're going to tell you about it anyway. So it's going to come from someone else likely. And when you hear that, receive it with humility. Humble yourself. You're going to have your feelings hurt. Humble yourself. Confess it and get back in this race. Don't let the fact that you have sin or guilt or these things from the past encumber you. It can be an encumbrance. Guilt can be the very encumbrance that we're talking about. Um, somebody told me a while back, man, I can't minister because I have this in my past, this guilty thing. I failed in this area. I can't minister in this area because I have this guilt. Man, let it go. That's what the cross was all about. Put it there, leave it there, and go run the race. But don't hold on to the ensnaring sin and try to whitewash it thinking nobody can smell it because everybody smells it but you. Don't, tr don't fool yourself in that. Anyway, receive it with humility, confess the sin, and run on uh, looking to the author and the finisher of your faith. So we begin to run the race. So right there, uh, 12, 1 and 2, the race has begun. At some point in your life, you are convicted in spirit, you repented of your sins, you confess the Lord as your Savior, and you begin to run the race. And he tells us how to do it. Run it with endurance. So you run the race, and then look what happens. This is, this is a tough little number of sentences here from 3 to 11. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son, is, what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had a human father who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, our earthly fathers, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he... Christ, God the Father, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So we're running the race, and the first thing that happens, we get disciplined, just like I told you. You're running the race, and someone very close to you reveals something, or they don't have to be close. Uh, one of the greatest lines I ever heard was from a guy who was actually... Um, drunk at the time and he told me how long are you going to be just a knucklehead and it really it really torqued me how long are you going to be lazy how long are you going to not give a hundred percent in this job that you're doing and um he said how many more years you guys in the military how many more years you got in here i had five more years and he's like uh he's like is this what you're going to do the whole anyway he saw something on me it annoyed him he wasn't a christian I was a nominal Christian at best, and he told it to me, and he left the room, and I thought, man, that guy's right. How long am I going to flop around like this? 
So God spoke through this man, but you've got to have enough humility to hear what the man's saying and put it into action in your life. Nobody likes chastening. Nobody. Especially from someone they consider a friend or someone they love, a husband or a wife or a child. Uh, my kids have told me stuff in the past I had to go think about after I beat them. No. <laughs> I mean, it's very offensive. Your kid tells you where you're falling short, you know, and you're like, oh, man, just go away, you know. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It's hard to take. But if it's true, it's true. So receive it as chastening. The chastening we're talking about here in this is like a beating. It's not just like a harsh word. It's more than that. It's stripes. And it says, don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. When you feel the pressure of rebuke coming from God, you're not supposed to get down. There's actually a jab at human fathers here. In the King James, it says, as seemed best to them. They disciplined you. They chastened you as seemed best to them. In the King James, it says, after their own pleasure. And it's kind of a jab at fathers. How many fathers, raise your hand, Pete. No. How many fathers have ever disciplined a kid and then found out later that they beat the wrong kid? Raise it up high, brother. I could tell you a tale. My dad one time was... Um, was just playing on a playground, and I guess another, my grandpa was a real big guy. He's built like strong, big barrel chest guy, big tall guy. Dad, dad was just goofing around with some other boys, and one of the other boys was teaching them all some cuss words, I guess, or something up to that effect. And my grandfather come around there and grabbed my dad by his hair and snatched him up. He was a big tall guy, and he was real strong. Dad was about 15 or 16, and he just picked my dad up by his hair and until uh, his feet were off the ground. <laughs> started smacking him around or something from these other kids and dad's like dad it wasn't even me that said the bad word it was this other guy you know it happens his grand my grandfather disciplined dad for his own pleasure because he seemed that seemed like the thing he needed to do at the time but he was wrong in that right what it's saying here in this word is that that's what earthly fathers do we fail in that because some of the discipline we give is out of our own anger or out of our own uh, helplessness or out of our own discouragement. We see our kid falling into the same thing that we fell into and we're like, we're beating them because we wish we'd have been beat so we didn't go down that road ourselves. And what it's saying here about God is the discipline that he gives is good. It's good and it's fair. It's always in love. And um, it's always perfect. And when we receive that discipline, it says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you don't learn from the beating, then the beating was in vain. And the thing about God is, if you're one of his, what does it say? The beatings will continue till the attitude changes or whatever. It's going to keep on uh, going. The, the, results, the, the results will continue. Uh, some things in life, uh, I was thinking about a, a man that I know, uh, he's discouraged because of um, something he's wanting to accomplish now, but he's got a felony from the past. The felony from the past is keeping him from what he wants to do now. The fault lies in the fact that he got the felony in the past. Some of this discipline is long-term. It's how it is. God has something to show you in that. You don't just, you don't get to uh, uh, dictate the terms of the discipline. God does. When you stand before a judge in court down here and you, you know, whatever, you got a 
whatever you got happen to you in life, and you go down there, you don't get to dictate the discipline. He does. A just God dictates the discipline that an unjust man needs to receive in order to bring the man to righteousness. That's the point. He's drawing us to righteousness. So when the God the Father does the chastening, he does it out of love, and he does it perfectly. He gives us just the amount we need. So when we receive this, like this last week, these things that, the last couple of weeks, these things that were said and, and whatever things that happened, I just have to listen to it. I have to measure it. I have to give it back to God and say, is this, is this something I got to work on? Is this man true? Is this an accusation? Or is this true? If it's true, then I need to receive it in humility and I need to change. But that's the part about running the race. What happens is we see this guy running here, this individual running, you, is discouragement comes in this race. But we have to recognize, like Job, that when his children are killed, he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in the negative things, God is working on you, drawing you closer to the Father. So I wouldn't say that every time something negative happens in your life, it's God disciplining you. But I will say that every time something negative happens in your life, it should be a reminder of you to turn back to the author and finisher of your faith and begin to follow him more closely. Lord, how are you working in your sovereign will in this world, in my life right now, through this circumstance? And if you can figure that out, then you're going to grow spiritually. As you grow spiritually, you're going to grow more spiritually mature. And it proves, it says, it proves your legitimacy as a true heir, a true son or daughter of God. That's what you want. I can't go and beat the neighbor's kids. I can only beat my own. God does the same thing. There may be nations that, that um, uh, are seemingly blessed or seemingly cursed. But we can't measure, or I should say, or other people. We look at these other people and say, well, man, it seems like everything's going that guy's way. It may be. It doesn't mean God's hand's on him. And it doesn't mean God's hand is not on you. God has a purpose for you. We're going to see it here in, the, in chapter 13. God has a purpose for you, and it's already designed and, and put in you for you to accomplish certain things by his will in his name and his, sovereign, in his sovereignty. So, so the first thing you've done is you've decided to run the race with endurance. It's a thing you have to remind yourself, by the way. We'll see it in a second. The next thing you've got to see is you've got to expect some chastening because he can't use you like you were before you were saved. They, that guy's that's the old man. The old man has to be broken off of the new man. And it's a, it's a tearing off. You ever read uh, C.S. Lewis where the Eustace becomes the dragon? Um, he does it because he's greedy and he's jealous. He's spiteful and he's ugly. And he, and he tries to steal something that's not him. And God comes and cleans him up. And he's this big scaly dragon. And it talks about how painful it is as God... As, uh, as Aslan, or the picture of God, tears these scales off of Eustace and how painful it is, but how that fresh pink skin underneath was, was better than perfect. He's got to remove this old nasty off of us, and that comes by chastening. So the next thing that happens is, so we got, we're running the race with endurance, then we're getting chastened to draw us closer to the Father, to train us, to build us up in the faith, to make us more spiritually mature, and now... We have to maintain, renew, restore, rebuild our spiritual vitality. It's the, it's the uh, energy drink of the word here. Okay? 
So it says in verse 12, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Um, look at all these active words right here. It says, uh, uh, strengthen your hands and knees. Make straight paths, be healed, pursue pre peace and holiness, look carefully, control your anger leading to bitterness, and seek the blessing. These are all positive attributes that you're going for. This is a marathon race. It's not a, it's not a sprint. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite Dave story. I told Dave I was going to tell this on so He's told it from the pulpit before, so I'm just reiterating it. But this is the, the New Dale version, okay? I know it may be different from actual events, so... Dave was into doing these Ironmans and these long races. You guys remember this? Got in the lake, started swimming. Some girl passed him and was kicking water in his face. He thought he was going to drown. And another lady had to come up there and render aid, correct? A, a gal did, with like a safety person did or something. Um, <laughs> he had to be rescued by the lady of the lake. But what he really needed in that moment, he needed some encouragement of, you can do this, man. Stop, hold on to the board here for a second. Take a deep breath drink your Red Bull, and get to swimming. Because he wants to complete the race. But he can't complete the race if he drowns in midstream, right? Um, this is that part of, you know, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, where it says, no turning back, no turning back. And you say it over and over and over, no turning back. I'm not going to go back to the old life. It's, and this is why, because the winners, the people that make it to the winner's circle, I'm kind of skipping ahead, it says in verse 22, it says, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, the spirits, uh, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That's why. You're running a, a long distance endurance race but the reason you're doing it and you're maintaining it is because of this right here. You're pre-registered in heaven. The marathon race is, is a, an interesting race. It's not, um, it's one of the few races, and I know it would be a big deal to win a marathon, a big marathon, Boston Marathon or something like that, New York. It'd be a big deal. Thousands of people run it to be the one guy that wins it. But... 99% of the people that run the marathon, it's about completing the marathon. It has nothing to do with, they have no thought in their mind of winning the marathon. They just want to complete the marathon. It's a big difference. The endurance it takes to complete the Christian life is a marathon. And what happened with Hillsong guy, hopefully not Kanye, but maybe, and this other guy, I kissed dating goodbye guy, Josh, whatever his name was, uh, those guys, and they've turned their back on, what they've done is they've dropped out of the race. They just gave up. They sat down. They weren't doing these things. They weren't strengthening the hands. They weren't doing the work of a servant. They weren't reading God's word on a daily basis. They were getting some kind of, you know, amped up emotional high from, from their music or from some other thing. They were listening to what the world says God is or what the world say, uh, says who God is. And they weren't, they weren't making straight paths for their feet. They weren't um, 
helping the lame. They weren't healing. They weren't pursuing peace with all people and pursuing holiness. That's what it says, pursue holiness, set-apartness. Without which, without set-apartness, it says, no one will see the Lord. Be ye holy just as I am holy, the Bible says. What does holiness look like? Well, there's imputed righteousness where Christ puts his righteousness on us. But then there's a way of living that is Christ-following where we put away these things of the past, like it says in Ephesians, if you used to steal, stop stealing and become generous and begin to give to people. If you used to lie, stop lying, tell the truth. Take the old man, destroy him, and become the new man. Begin to walk holy, separate from the world. It's a different, it's a different thing. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Keeping always on the alert and observing all things that take place with insider hearing. We had to memorize that to stand post. It's the life of the believer. You need to be aware, pinpoint, pinpoint focused on following Christ. And when you do that, these other things will begin to fall into place. When you take your focus off of Christ and try to put it on the world or try to put it on someone else or put it on someone else's failures, uh, it becomes an encumbrance. And you can't run the race well. You have those ropes flopping around your feet. Like I said, prior to this, the runner, he's all dismayed. Things aren't as easy as he thought he would, as they thought they would be. That's why you have so much falling away with people. Um, uh, how does that one, what's the Bill Bright one? Uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay. And then, so, okay, I can accept Christ if that's true. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Everything's going to go great. Well, then I'll just become a Christian. And then when things don't go great, I become dismayed. And instead of looking to God's word, looking to someone that knows another uh, believer that's more spiritually mature than myself. Instead of that, I go to the world and start looking for philosophical answers or something like that. Well, then I'm going to fall out of the race. I'm not going to succeed in the race long term. Negative things have happened to this runner. He wants to get close, but he can't get close. Verse 18, for you have now come to the mountain, you have not come, sorry, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and was burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. There's two mountains here. The first mountain was Sinai where the law was given. And God said, don't even get close. You people are so wicked, don't even think about getting close. There's only one guy that can get close, and that's Moses. And I'm going to treat him special. I'm going to anoint him special. And only Moses can touch this mountain because I'm there and my righteousness is there. And what, and what this, this runner, he can look at this, any person can look at this two ways. They can look at it as if they're standing by Mount Sinai and God is completely unapproachable. Or they can repent and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. And they can go all the way to Mount Zion. It says to come boldly to the throne of grace. If you have access to Mount Zion, that means that you have, you have accessed Christ. And he says, come all the way in, man. Come all the way up to this throne room and be here. 
You may suffer in the human body, but in the end you're going to be in heaven if you're attached to this mountain, this Mount Zion. If you're going to try to do it in your own flesh, you're just going to be that good of a person. I'm always surprised, you know, when I hear these evangelism, you know, things like uh, Ray Comfort or whatever. He'll ask people, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. What makes you a good person? I never killed anybody. Okay. Did you keep the whole law or did you just never kill anybody? Because the law is extensive and it's, it's impossible to keep. No one could keep the law. And you can't either. So what you need to do is you need to put your whole life at the cross, at the feet of Christ, and say, man, take me to Mount Zion, because I can't do it. There's nothing I can do. The only thing I can do is provide um, godly fear. That's it. And he says that's enough. So raise your head up and run the race with endurance. The only access to Mount Zion is by private invitation. And all that's in, uh, required to get this invite is to come humbly to Christ. And like I said, repent of living in your own strength, sin and in all this former life, and put on the new man. Repent. He does all the work. I turn from my old life. I give it to Christ. He does all the work, and he converts me and makes me into a new man. So your invitation is secured at that point. Now, you have this new invitation. You're running the race. You've endured the chastening. You got the energy drink going. You're in the right crowd. You're in the pack of leaders running the race. And it says you're going to do this because we are to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There are people that are running this race feeling like they're saved, but they haven't accomplished this part of receiving the invite. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, verse 25. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this. Yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. You might have heard it, and you've probably heard it here, but that verse that says our God is a consuming fire. Did I tell you guys about the chimney? I did tell you that a while back, didn't I? About the chimney? How it's, anyway, no? Okay, we'll work on the chimney another day. But God is a consuming fire. God has, God has a power of fire that will refine everything, it says, in the end lead, brass, bronze, steel, wood, hay, stubble. And it says only the best will make it through this refiner's fire, and that's gold. When we see gold in the Bible, we're seeing righteousness. That's what we see. We see righteousness. We see purity. If you are made of any of these other things, all that stuff is going to be burned up, and the only thing that's going to last is the gold. The gold becomes more and more pure the more and more it's heated. The dross is dipped off, right? And it leaves only the purified believer at the end. That's you if you're running the race in this way. The problem is there's, all, there's no problem if you're a believer. The problem is for you if you are not a believer. Because if you're not a believer, it says he's going to shake everything and he's going to consume everything. We sang that as a song this morning. And we can sing it as a song, you know, consume me, and we're thinking about Oh, man, just fill me fully, you know. We're thinking of it as a positive. But I'm telling you, the, con the consuming that's going on here is a burning up. 
and eliminating of everything that you are, every encumbrance that you've put on yourself and you've thought was the way to go. And it's burning all that up. And all it's leaving is the part that God's going to use. And it's a good thing. It's a bad thing to fall under the hands of a wrathful God. It's a good thing to fall under the hands of a righteous God who righteously judges us and treats us as refined gold. So, careful thing. I want to tell you about this race. I was telling Renette about it this morning, and now I thought about it, Mom, and I, the more I thought about it, I thought this does, this, this fits. So back in about 1984, there was this lady. Uh, who remembers Zola Bud? Remember that name? One guy, Big D. Okay, Zola Bud and this lady named Mary Decker Slaney. Mary Decker Slaney, fastest lady in the world at the time, white girl from the U.S. Zola Bud, a, a little short girl from uh, South Africa by way of England gets in the Olympics and they're running. Zola Budd had set all these Olympic records. Mary Decker, or all these world records in long distances, five, three, five thousand races, foot, uh, three to five thousand meter races, these real long races. So uh, we, I watched it on TV, which was rare. We used to watch the Olympics on Wide World of Sports when it came up three days after the event happened. Wasn't like today. But uh, you know, you had to wait till Sunday when Wide World of Sports came on, you could watch it then, you know. So, um, so we're watching this race and it was an unusual race in that these two ladies were usually so much faster than everyone else that they would just break out of the pack and run away. But in this particular race, the pack stays together. And uh, what happened was, during the race, in the first couple laps or something, it's a pretty long race, um, first couple laps, uh, Mary Decker Slaney, Spike, gashes Zola Bud's leg. Zola Bud would run with no shoes on, bare feet. That was her kind of trademark. She was like the wind, barefooted. Slashes her on the leg, and it does cause a slight injury to her. And then about a lap or two later, um, and this is a big pack of girls, maybe eight or ten girls running together. A lap or two later, uh, bumps into Zola Bud, and she staggers and ends up running out of the pack, kind of makes a loop and catches herself. So now she's at the back of the pack working her way back up, right? She works her way back up, and on just nearing two-thirds of the race it was attributed to zola bud but it wasn't her they found out later somebody kicks the bottom of mary decker slaney's foot who's running in first place and she trips and falls down and falls to the inside of the track and the rest of the pack goes on here's the picture mary decker slaney like a big weenie lays there on the side of the thing and bursts into tears and her boy her husband boyfriend mr slaney has to come over there and pick her up carry her off the track Zola Bud, who'd been raked, who'd been tripped, and who had also been stumbled around, stays in the race. Doesn't win the race. Comes in fourth, fifth, or something. Two girls that were just nobodies end up winning first and second in the Olympics. But the point is this. Uh, both Mary Decker Slaney and Zola Bud were both picked to win the race. And neither one of them did. But when it really came down to it, when it came down to this endurance thing, only one of them really showed what, what she really had, and that was Zola Bud. Because she dug down deep, even though she got kicked to the back of the pack, and she worked her way back up, and I think she came in third or fourth. It was an impressive run by this girl. And Mary Decker Slaney really showed what she was made of, too, when she fell down there and started crying and claimed this injury. But she was able to run within a day or two, so she wasn't that badly injured. The thing was... Her spirit was broken when she fell. I'm supposed to win this race, but she doesn't win. And so when she falls down without winning, she's, she just gives up. And it's like what you were talking about this morning. 
if your mind is focused on Christ, you can complete the race. You're not going to come in first place likely, but you're going to finish the race. That's what you're called to do. It doesn't say run with endurance. It says, uh, and finish in first place, it says run with endurance the race that is set before you. You run the race that's set for you. You run the race set for you. You run, <laughs> it's a different race. You finish the race that's set before you, and in that, you will be counted faithful. That's the key. He measures us by our faithfulness. God is, God is a consuming fire. That, that scripture says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that the man shall also reap. Man soweth to the flesh, he reapeth corruption. But if the man soweth to the spirit, what does he reap? He reaps life. You reap the finish line. If you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. That's in Galatians. If a guy can grasp that right here, that this life, this life that we live, this endurance race that we're in, it will make a whole lot more sense to us. Because when negative things happen to us now, we have the choice every day to do the Zola Bud move or to do the Mary Decker Slaney move. You can fall down and cry like a girl or like a baby. Sorry, I got to quit dogging girls because Zola Bud ran a four-minute mile. So I never was able to accomplish that. So she ran a 417 in the mile, Pete. Is that pretty fast? It's dang swift. Barefooted. That's even swifter. Listen, if you can fix this, if you can figure this out, this running the race with endurance, it makes for a, a completely different life because you're looking for a victory that's not necessarily in first place, but it's completing the race that's set before you, and that's ultimately in the heavenlies. And you're going to find that satisfaction that you've so been longing for that you've been trying to plug all this other jazz into to reach. You're trying to plug some kind of material thing or a relational thing with another person or some other thing. You're trying to put that stuff in there to fill this, this faith void that you're missing rather than filling it with God's word, completing the race, looking to the author and finisher of your faith. So, so I don't mean, I, I know it sounds like a kind of a broken record, but, but uh, I know you've heard all that stuff before. You're like, I wish Dale would get on a new topic. So I will. Chapter 13. Here you go. I'm going to read it all in one shot, and then we'll hit the highlights, and, and we'll call it a day. So chapter 12 was about the race. Now chapter 13 is about the uniform that you wear while you're running it. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never, le I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my help, helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, 
bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be unto you. Amen. So there's a lot going on in chapter 13, and this is where it comes back on you to go home and study to show thyself approved unto God, okay? So you need to go and read in that. But I wanted to cover a couple things, and it starts right here. Um, uh, it sounds an awful lot like the end of 1 Thessalonians, where it says, We exhort you, brethren, to warn, comfort, uphold, be patient, pursue good, and run from evil. And like I said, I don't want to sound like a broken record when I teach this stuff, but that is what the life set apart looks like. When I read in chapter 13, uh, 1 through 9, it, it's just this bullet points. It's whoever wrote this is like, he's getting, he's like, all right, man, I made it to 12 chapters here. I better tighten this up and finish the letter already. And so he's just doing all these things. Oh, yeah, and do this and do that and do this and do that. Make sure you're doing this. Um, and, and that's what he's doing. He's trying to give them some pointers to survive in this wicked world that's doing everything in its power to separate men from God and to keep their hearts separate from God. And he's saying, do these things. Show brotherly love to one another. Um, entertain strangers. Remember the prisoners. Be faithful to your spouses. Be content and not greedy or covetous. Listen to those that preach the word to you. You know what? He mentions that three times. He says that, um, I don't want to get bogged down there, but in verse 7, remember those who rule over you have spoken the word of God to you whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, uh, for that would be unprofitable to you. And there at the end it says, um, greet all those who rule over you. Um, there's something about the, the guy that's bringing you the word. Have mercy on the guy. Listen to what he's saying. Begin to put those things into action. Hear what he's saying. Take it home. Develop it meditate on it, dwell on it, teach it to your children, and then go apply it in your lives. He's not doing it for his own good. He's doing it for your good. And verse 15, it's super, super powerful there. It says, um, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, give, uh, fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Um, but do not forget to do good and to share with such sacrifice as God is well pleased. Here's the, here's the, the uh, fervent, effective prayer of a righteous saint, and also the action, faith without works is dead. It's both right here in this one thing. It's first saying, let's continually offer the sacrifice of praise. You come together, you praise God's name, you pray, you seek his face, you fast, you meditate on his word, you dwell on his word, and then you go out and you do good and you share. You don't just keep it all for yourself. It's the, it's the Sea of Galilee and the, and the Dead Sea, same picture. 
One's full of good stuff, but it's completely dead. And one's full of good stuff, and it's completely alive. And the reason is one has good water flowing in and good water flowing out, and the other just takes good water in and keeps all the good stuff for himself. So as you hear God's word, you meditate on it, you put it in there, it builds you up for this. It's the, it's the energy drink that builds up your spirit for the race to come. Now go share it with other people outside. Do good and share. And here's the, here's the last big deal. So we have all this. We know how to run the race. We got the right uniform on. We're running it as a believer. And it says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, here's the, here's the key, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you remember, I don't, I don't know if I can't remember, I really I was thinking about this. I can't remember if I taught it here, the rescue mission, or here Wednesday night. <laughs> but either way, you're going to hear it again one way or another, or maybe for the first time. But this make you complete is a real power verse. You are already, at the moment of salvation, you have every spiritual gift within you to be able to do the work of a minister. Whatever that spiritual gift is, you're called to minister. You are fully complete. And the picture was, did I already tell you this? The picture of Adam? Did I tell you this? Huh? Was it Wednesday night? Okay. So, so Adam, when he was born, it says he was made in the image of God. When Adam was made, he was made perfect, as in he was ready for action. He wasn't a, an infant that needed to be nursed. He wasn't an old man that was broke down and lost his memory. He was a person in human form and the prime of his life ready to work, ready to do the things that God called him to do, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion over the earth, um, and all these things where he assigned him. He was ready. He was a completed man ready to be put into action. That's what this says right here. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. At the moment of salvation, you are made complete uh, in every good work to do God's will. It's all in you to do God's will. It's already there. The tools that you need to accomplish his will are in you right now. The problem is with most of us is we take the tools that are in us to do God's will and we do our own will with them. And that's the issue. But the, the believer that's running this race with endurance, he's taking those tools that are put in him to do God's will and he's actually doing God's will with them. And from that, he gets to see this good fruit. And the fruit is this praise from his lips. He can praise God for those that he leads to Christ. He can praise God for those that he disciples. He can praise God for those that he feeds when he feeds the hungry. He can praise God for those when he cares for the widow and the orphan in their distress. Or when he, when he breaks some sinful chain that's been binding him up to this time in his life. Or the chain, a sinful chain in another believer. Or as he exhorts another believer, encourages another believer. And all those things, he can praise God for that. Because he is using the tool that God has put in him already to its fullness. It's one thing, uh, I have a metal lathe at home. It's kind of a complicated weapon, really. There's a lot of parts that go along with it. You have to know different things to be able to use it fully. And I'm not that good on it, I'll tell you. You can cut threads on a bolt with it. Uh, you can cut flutes on stuff. That's these long, thin cuts. Um, you can cut the inside of a bowl. You can cut the outside of a bowl. You can cut stuff down to 10 uh, thousandths on it, which is really, it's 10 thousandths of an inch. One 10 thousandths of an inch. The problem is Dale is not crafty enough on it to be able to do all those things. I got the tool, but I don't know how to use it fully. 
the spiritual gift that you have in you has been put in there by God, and you have the ability to develop it and use it fully as God calls you to use it. But you've got to put it into action. So, as a prayer, I just want to tell you, there's going to be trials, and there's going to be discipline, and there's going to be persecutions, and all of these are part of running the race with the endurance. But the, this running the race with endurance is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's what you're supposed to do. So do it well, and let the worries of this age take care of themselves, and seek first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness will be added unto you. All these things will be added unto you. Put them into action. So we've talked about Hebrews for a long time, and it's... Uh, it's a positive and a negative to, to move on to another topic. The topic for next week is going to be the Feast of Trumpets, which it falls on or about that date, the 28th of September. And it's one of those feasts that has yet to been accomplished uh, by Christ. He's accomplished a lot of the, the, the different feasts, Passover and uh, first fruits and unleavened bread and all that. But in this, it's not yet accomplished. And what most people... Uh, anyone that would teach it, the Jews and so on, would say this is when the Messiah will come. At the trumpet blast is when he'll return. So we always need to be turning our eyes to the east and looking to see if he'll return during the Feast of Trumpets. But anyway, we're going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets next week. And so uh, that'll be somewhere else in the Word. But I do want you to go home and dwell on what you've learned today from Hebrews and over the last couple of weeks. Go back and read chapter 13. Encourage yourself and your children in that to run the race with endurance. Make sure you've got the right uniform on. Make sure you're drinking the right energy drink. And I want to pray this prayer over you as a, as a prayer if you'll just bow your heads where you're at. And know that it says here in the Word in 13 verse 18, it says, I especially urge you to do this this morning as your pastor, um, and I appeal to you, brethren and sisters here, to bear this word with, as a word of exhortation. For I've spoken to you in very few words here, and grace be with you all. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And Father, this morning, if there be one, Lord, that's not sure what it means to run the race with endurance. They're not even sure what the race is. May today be the day of their salvation. I pray now for those that would hear the word, that they would apply it to their heart. If they hear the word and be doers of the word, then you can operate through us, Lord, and provide abundant fruit. And I pray that the word that was spoken today, the songs that were sung, that those were um, glorifying to you, um, that you would, you would accept it as a sacrifice of praise and an, and an offering of praise. I thank you, Lord, for the ways you've blessed this place, his people. We thank you for this building. We thank you for the opportunity to meet with one another. We thank you for the food that was prepared and the hands that prepared it. And now, Lord, I pray that your heart, uh, that your word convict the heart of the people that are here, and that it not return void, and that those who need to hear your name, Lord, will hear it this week by the word of mouth of the people from this fellowship. And we, uh, we give the service to you, Lord, in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah.